You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Week three of our study in the book of Galatians. We're calling this series, we're calling our summer-long conversation, I No Longer. And it's taken, it's taken from the center of the book of, of Galatians, which was a letter written to a series of churches where Paul says, I no longer live. This is a big claim. Just think about this. If you were to say the phrase, I no longer live, what does that mean? Paul's saying, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's as if Paul has exchanged his life, his dreams, his goals, his agenda for the dreams, goals, and agenda of God. And so Paul says, I no longer live. Let me ask you a quick question. What are you living for? The invitation of Jesus who is this guy who lived in the first century, claimed to be God, proved that he was by rising from the dead. This guy, Jesus, who is the God of the universe, who is your creator, whether you know it or not, has invited you to surrender your entire life to him. And in doing that, you will find the life that you were created for. Tonight, we're talking about switching places. Paul is about to say something that is absolutely unheard of. In fact, to his audience, when he said this, every jaw would have dropped. They would have paused. They would have said, wait, Paul, that doesn't make any sense. Remember, Paul was formerly a passionate follower of of Judaism. That was his religion. He was all about it. In fact, he was so passionate about it that when Christians started proclaiming that Jesus was the Lord of the universe, he went on a mission to destroy them and to kill them at all costs. But then Paul, he met Jesus. And everything changed in his life. And while in prison, Paul writes this letter. And it was actually in prison that Paul died. Just think about this for a second. Paul gave up a life of comfort and ease and safety and influence for a life of suffering and pain and making hard decisions. Why would he do that other than the fact that he actually saw Jesus? We're finding him in the middle of his letter in chapter 3. Find me in Galatians chapter 3 beginning in verse 7. It goes like this. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. This is that moment that everybody listening would have said, "Er," like put the brakes on Paul. What are you talking about? Everyone, everyone who has faith That they are the children of God. What he's literally saying here is that it is not about your birthright. It's not about your birthplace. It's not about your family. It's not about your income. It's not about the people who raised you. It's not even about the culture that you come from that qualifies you to be a part of God's family. But it is actually 
faith. And he's meaning faith in God. You see, you got to understand, for them in this culture, to be a part of the family of God was something that you were born into. And maybe some of you, we need to pause for a second, because maybe some of you, you call yourself a Christian, you call yourself a follower of Jesus because you were born into it. Because your parents are all about it. Because even some of your friends or your boyfriend or girlfriend or your siblings or your aunts or uncles, because they're all about it, you're like, well, I, I guess I'm a Christian. Or maybe on the other end, you think, there's no way I could be a Christian. There's no way I could be a follower of God because I wasn't born into this. Because all this is new. Even as you come to HSM and as we talk about God, you're like, I've never even heard this Jesus before. I've never talked about this kind of stuff before. I clearly couldn't fit in here. What I love about what Paul says here is he says, you need to understand, in order to be a part of God's family, his community, to be a part of God's present here in the world, and to be a part of God's future, heaven, eternity with him, the requirement is faith. The requirement is trust in Jesus. That is what gains you access into the family of God. I, I wonder if some of you, if you think about your life and you think about the decisions you made, you would say, you know, I'm doomed. I'm doomed from ever being considered to be in God's family because of my past. Or maybe some of you think, I'm absolutely secure in God's family because of my past, because of my family or my friends. But I believe what God wants to say to us initially here, just at the first few words of this passage, is, is a message of hope and a message of challenge. The message of hope is the family of God is open to anybody and all people. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what got you here. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made. None of that matters in terms of your ability to be a part of God's family. But at the same time, you can't ride the coattails of another person's faith. He, he continues, verse 8, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. This is what I love. You know how sometimes we feel like the God of the Old Testament is like really mean and angry and he's like, rah, like always growling at people and like hurting people and it's really scary. But Jesus is this like wonderful hippie that's like, peace, what's up, dude? Like he's just kind of like chilling, like, whoa. You know what I mean? Like he's just like cruising. And, and, you're, and you're like, I just don't get it. Like this God of the Old Testament, he just seems like, like angry dad all the time. And Jesus just seems like he's winning the lottery every day. Like I don't get it. I think it's passages like this that I'm going to show you in a second that remind us that God has consistently had the same character all throughout Scripture. You see, when Jesus showed up on planet Earth and said, I have come to seek and to save the lost, he wasn't starting something brand new that the God of the Old Testament was like, wait, what? Like, you come to see, no, 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 like, we're supposed to be angry at people. No, this was God's character from the beginning. Check out Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1 and 2. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 2 says, it's in, there it is. The Lord said to Abram, remember Abram became Abraham, Abram before. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, pause right there for a second. 
God says, Abram, wake up, dude. We're going on a trip. We're going on an adventure. You need to leave everything behind, and you need to go where I am calling you. And the question is, why, God? Why would you want me to do that? Verse 2, check it out. Verse 2 says this. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a? That was a little weak. And you will be a? You see, from the very beginning, when God creates his family, who at this time is Israel, the people of God, he gathers a group of people and he says, I will bless you for the purpose of what? Oh, I'm sorry, let me ask again. I will bless you for the purpose of what? Being a, thank you, Gunny, being a blessing. This is the purpose. Think about this. God has since day one been a missional God. Some of you maybe who have studied the Old Testament before, maybe one of your issues with God has been, why would God pick Israel and only hang out with them and be like, these are going to be my best friends. I hate everybody else. Like, is God like this clicky cheerleading squad? Like, what is God? Like, what is, I'm sorry, cheerleading, I shouldn't have said that. Whereas, I know you are, Makai. That was bad. I love cheerleaders. Makai's a great example of an awesome cheerleader. But... A clicky gamer squad, right? Like, why, why is God... Why, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't... I just, I just... I've seen you guys. You game and nobody looks each other in the eye. That's all I'm saying. Okay, so... Anyway, 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 anyway. Follow me here. Hold on, seven. Okay. Here's all I'm saying. If, if you've ever had this issue with God before, if you've studied the Old Testament, maybe you've thought... Why does God seem to only love the Israelites? I mean, he's always, the Old Testament is, a lot of it is about the Israelites. This verse needs to be the lens through which you understand how God interacts with the Israelites. Think about that for a second. This verse needs to be the lens through which you understand how God interacts with the Israelites. God's love for the Israelites his investment in the Israelites, his calling of the Israelites, his speaking to the Israelites was always intended to result in more nations, more ethnicities, more people being reached and God inviting them into his family. You see, God says, Abram, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. The first blank I want you to fill in there is God reaches people through people. God reaches people through people. God reaches your friends through you. God reaches your mom and dad through you. God reaches the people that he has put in your life through you. I will not sit in chemistry next to you and talk to Samantha and, and ever like share the gospel with her because I don't know Samantha, but God has put you next to Samantha so that you would understand that God has always reached people through people. You see, this was God's grand design from the very beginning. But here's what's, here's what's important for you to remember. Let me just make sure I read verse 9. All nations will be blessed through you, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is a very important verse, friends, because here's the big idea. 
Someone else's faith can motivate you, but it cannot save you. Someone else's faith can motivate you, but it cannot save you. This is a really, really big idea because sometimes we, we cling to their faith, another's faith, and say, man, I'm, I'm hanging out with lots of Christians, so me and God are super good. God isn't like me. He's not blind and kind of generally looking out in people and be like, yeah, they're kind of in the right place. All right, we're cool, we're cool. No, 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 God knows you directly. And God has called you to be a part of his family, but he has individually died on a cross so that you would be saved individually. And so students, you need to begin to wrestle with this. Is your faith, is your relationship with Jesus hinging on, are you like a leech on the back of another Christian? Maybe you're on the back of your parents. Maybe you're on the back of your boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe you're on the back of your small group leader even. Maybe you're on the back of your friends. And maybe all of a sudden, you're thinking about your own life and you're going, I'm not sure that I actually have a faith. That I actually believe. That I actually trust. Remember, whenever it says faith and believe, it's not talking about something you think. It's not talking about a decision you made at camp. It's something you trust in. You trust in with your entire life. And here's what's beautiful about the family of God. Is we can motivate each other. I mean, that's the idea that we're in Christian community, that when you break into your small groups, you're not talking about, oh my gosh, Susie's dating Anthony. Like, you're not talking about that. You're getting into your groups. You're getting into your small groups, and you're having honest conversations about your heart, about your life, about what's actually going on, what Jesus is teaching you, and that is incredibly important because that will motivate your faith. That will energize your faith. That will keep you going, but it cannot be the thing that saves you. Another person's faith cannot save you. But on the flip side of it is this. I want you to think for a second. I want all of you to close your eyes. Close your eyes for a quick second. I want you to think about this. How many people has God used to reach you? I want you to think about this for a second. How many people has God used to reach you? Now, with every eye closed, maybe you're in this room and you're not quite yet in a relationship with Jesus. I want you to know that he has been using people in your life to reach you whether you know it or not. That it could be the friend that got you here, the parent that got you here. It could be the beautiful creation that you see every single day when you walk out of your house. It could be a series of events, maybe even horrible events that God has used for his good to bring you here to connect you with him. But maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, and I want you to just think in your mind. I want your mind, allow your mind to go to all of the people, thinking about all of the people that God has used to reach you. How incredible is that? You know what that, tell me? You know what that tells me? It tells me that he must really love you. That God didn't just like hope and randomly sort of sit back and go, oh, cool, Gage is here, that's awesome. Or, oh, cool, Matthew's here, that's nice. Or, Makai's here. Or, oh, Katie showed up. She shot, like, kind of decently. Okay, cool. Like, that's not how God works. God has used 
people to get you here, to get you into relationships with others, but it is imperative, meaning it is so important for you to understand that your faith, your trust in him, your relationship with him cannot exist on the backs of another. And it cannot ultimately save you. You can go ahead and open your eyes. The second big idea, not only does God reach people through people, our second big idea that we're going to close with is every blessing comes with a calling. You can fill it in there. Every blessing comes with a calling. Verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law, I'm going to explain this in a second. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ, listen to this verse, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Let's pause there for a second. What Paul says here is he says, there is this law. The law of God, what does it reveal? It reveals God's perfect standard. And it makes sense. If God is holy and perfect, God has never sinned. He is your perfect, holy, universal, giant creator of the universe who has never sinned, never thought a thin, sinful, a thinful, another has never thought a sinful thought. And so in order to be in a relationship with this perfect God, he has some standards. And guess what? The standards are perfection. And that makes sense because it's consistent with his character. That if his character is perfect, his relationships ought to be perfect. But what the scriptures teach is that the law, meaning God's perfect standard, though they give us a picture of what eternity is going to be like with him in perfect relationship... Here in the fallen earth, in our brokenness and sin, they're actually a curse as well. They reveal to us our waywardness and our sin and our brokenness. They reveal to us that there is nothing on our own that we could do to be in a perfect relationship with God. He's holy and perfect, and you and I aren't. I mean, today, just be honest with yourself. The thoughts that you thought today, what if we like... Let's see, Johnny. No, he, I don't want to do Johnny. Liz, we're gonna do Liz. Let's say, let's say we said everybody know Liz. We love Liz. Liz is like really nice usually. So Liz is really nice. Let's say we put up on this screen. If I said, hey, guess what, Liz? We had a special machine that was able to like extract every single evil thought you had today. Ha ha ha! We're gonna put it up on the screen. I'll tell you, I would not be excited about you guys reading my stuff on the screen. I know that you guys. I know that you guys wouldn't love that either. And here's the thing. God knows all of it. And not only our thoughts that are in rebellion to him, our actions that are in rebellion to him, our life that essentially says, God, I want to do my own thing, that it would not look good for any of us up on that screen, but God knows it completely. But maybe some of you are going, well, I'm, I'm like kind of good, like I'm better than somebody else. I'm better than the person I'm sitting next to. I'm better than that other guy at school. God is not comparing you with the person sitting next to you. God is comparing you with Jesus Christ. God is comparing you with his perfect self. And the reality is there's a distance. There's a gap. But here's the beauty of the gospel, which the gospel means the good news of God. This is the best news. 
that Jesus decided to become the curse so that you and I would not be cursed. In a sense, Jesus took on all of the sin of the world so that you and I wouldn't have to continue to be separated from him. You see, Jesus decided to switch places. Jesus looked out at us and said, I want you so bad that I'm willing to switch places with you. It continues, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is written to a group of people who go, there's no way I could ever become Jewish because I'm not from the family of Abraham. And Paul is saying here, there is a new family of God that is not defined by your birthplace or by your birthright or by who your families are, but it is determined by faith in Jesus Christ. And then there's this amazing big idea here about redemption. You guys, historically, back in the first century, this word redemption is a very loaded word. Behind the word redemption is this picture. Somebody who is enslaved. Somebody comes who is free looks at that person who's enslaved and says, I will buy you for the purpose of freeing you. That's the, that is literally what redemption means. Is it means somebody who is enslaved as we are to our own sin. Jesus has said, I will buy their freedom. I will buy them for myself and I will set them absolutely free. This means all the sin that you've ever committed, Jesus paid for it. All that sin that you've been enslaved to, that I've been enslaved to. He says, I will take it all. I will, I will pay the debt. I will absorb it and I will absolutely free you. Christians, if you follow Jesus, this should be a reason to go, hallelujah. I mean, think about it. You are absolutely free in Christ Jesus. And so it means when you sin, you don't try to manage it, cover it up, pretend it's not there. You say, Jesus, you died for this sin. Help me to never return to it again. And when you sin, you say, Jesus, you died for that sin. I give it over to you. Help me to become more like you. Jesus, you died for that sin. But at the same time, Paul, Paul is challenging us to understand that with the blessing of redemption comes a calling. Comes a calling to share that message with the world. And here's the message that's in your notes. Your redemption cost Jesus his life. That's how much you matter to God. I mean, Jesus, Jesus didn't like pull out a few shekels, right? He didn't like win the lottery and he's like, I'll spend half of it redeeming humanity. Like Jesus literally gave up his life, died on a cross because you, whether you know him or not, you matter to him that much. Just let that sink in and think about that for a section, a, sec, a second, a section, a second. What was the price? The price was Jesus's life. But you see, with every blessing comes a calling. It's like, this is our first aid kit, which if like any of you ever like cut off your arm in HSM, like, this is all we got. So, um, it'd be like this, though. And this is how I think some of us Christians live our lives. That we've got, like, the first aid kit. Like, we've got the rescue plan. 
Like we've been saved, we've been bandaged up by God, we've been healed, we've been restored, we've been brought from dead to life. Like we were literally dead in our sins and Jesus brought us to life by his forgiveness and by his death and resurrection. And so we as Christians, we walk around with this first aid kit. And then we see Johnny coming up here real quick. Johnny, I need you to like, I need, yeah. I need, I need you to like, like just like, well, just fall down. Just fall down. Just fall down kind of dramatically. Oh, dang. And here's how most of us Christians live our lives. We walk by people, and let's say like, like your arm's all jacked up. Like, like pretend your arm, oh my goodness. Okay, so his arm is completely jacked up, right? And we walk around as Christians like this a lot of times. We're like, ooh, that looks like a bad arm. Oh, man. And then we, uh, Dylan, come up here real quick. I don't know if you're who you're texting, but come on up here real quick. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Come up here. Come up here. Come up here. This is what we do as Christians. This is what we do as Christians. Let's say Dylan's a Christian. Johnny's not. We know Johnny is. We're not sure about Dylan. But anyway, Dylan is a Christian. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Dylan's a Christian. Let's say Johnny's not. Here's what we do as Christians, honestly. I walk by. I see him hurting, holding the first aid kit. And I come over here and I go, did you see what Johnny did this weekend? <laughs> did you hear what he said? Did you hear what he did with his girlfriend? Did you? I mean, we, we just talk about it, right? And all the while, we're like these Christians that have the truth, that have the story of redemption, that have experienced God's absolute forgiveness. We have the first aid kit. And Johnny is bleeding out, and his arm is broken, and he's going to die, and we're sitting over here gossiping about him. We're sitting over here talking trash. We're sitting over here with the answer, with the solution. And we're not willing to apply it. And Christians, we need to remember that with every blessing comes a calling. That with every blessing, with every blessing, we have a calling attached to that. Can you give it up for these guys? Good job. Go ahead and have a seat. As I wrap up, one of the things that we say in our family a lot, one of the things we say in our family a lot, we say to our kids every single day, anytime we drop them off, anytime we leave uh, to go on a date and they're with a babysitter, we say the same thing to our kids every single day, every moment. We go, what's your job? And they look at us and they say, be a blessing. We say, what's your job? They say, be a blessing. It's, some, it's one of our Holmstrom family values is to be a blessing. And I want our kids to grow up knowing that because they are blessed, and that doesn't mean the money they have or the experience they have, they, it means that God loves them, that God has rescued them, that God has redeemed them, that God has forgiven them, that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead for them, that because they're blessed, their job is to be a blessing. Students, what if you woke up every day and you said, what's my job today? It's to be a blessing. 